morning. I am excited to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm wearing my favorite SFA shirt. Thanks for folks that said they liked my favorite SFA shirt. And then uh, somebody said, hey, I really like your shirt, but you only wear SFA stuff on special occasions. <laughs> I guess so. Today is a special occasion. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, something that God has been uh, stirring in our heart for the campus of SFA, and so it is why I'm wearing my SFA shirt. I love SFA every day, by the way. Every day. I just can't afford to wear SFA gear every day. Um, so... Uh, I want to just share with you guys, that's that's the heart of this morning um, and then of next week. We're going to be talking about uh, something very specific uh, that God has, uh, over the last five years, uh, been working in us uh, for this uh, for the campus of SFA. And I, and I want to share with you this morning a beginning of that. Uh, and then Melina is going to share with you next week uh, the details uh, of the strategy that we believe that uh, that God has uh, has given us. So we're going to be in Nehemiah. Go to Nehemiah. First third of the Bible, you're going to find Nehemiah right after Ezra. And I'll give you a little bit of time to get there since Nehemiah is not Matthew. And it takes a little bit, a little bit longer to get to it. Some of y'all going to consult that table of contents. That's all right. No worries. Man, crazy things going on, right? Yesterday and Friday were unbelievable at World Mandate. I, uh, I, it always takes me a, a long time to process through World Mandate. Um, cool story. Last year at World Mandate uh, was when, so I, if you guys kind of have followed Lindsay and I's story a little bit. We um, we were uh, we'd been praying for a long time. Um, just a desire of our heart. One of these things, a desire of our heart. Um, mine. I grew up in the city, and um, I I just have always desired to be out in space. Um, I always felt like I I heard God um, more. Uh, and it's not that God is more present outside of the city, but just. Uh, Something about me being an introvert, and uh, it was not, it's always nice to get away. Um, and so I've just been asking God if that would be, would be possible. We moved here, and through a process, the Lord uh, blessed us with an opportunity to live in some, in some space out, uh, outside of the city limits. And um, the, the trick was that it was, uh, it was a two-bedroom, um, and at the time there were uh, <laughs> four of us. And, uh, and, uh, and so it was, it was a little bit tight. And then a fifth was, uh, was, uh, what, am I counting right? Yeah, I am. Shiloh, Abby, me, and Lynn. Come on, guys. All right. I'm like, am I losing track here? <laughs> okay, so it's four of us. Uh, a fifth was announced. Elizabeth was on the way. And, uh, so we were kind of going, oh, okay, how's this going to fit? How's this going to work? But really felt like, um, that God had not, uh, released us to do anything different and so we were in this little two-bedroom uh, apartment thing um, and uh, at world mandate god really dealt with my heart on um, some control that i felt like i needed to have over our over our family um, and 
uh, we had, uh, when, when I was, uh, when we were in Sundown as a youth pastor, we, uh, we adopted our first daughter. So it was the first, our first daughter, um, when she was 18 and, uh, and I felt like in, in some way, I think I'd settled. I'd let, I'd said, okay, God, you know, that we've done that check, <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, and kind of settled and then wanted to adoption's hard. And you guys heard Francis Chan talk about that a little bit. Adoption's hard. They're hard moments. Kids are hard. And, uh, there were difficult moments. And I think in some ways I thought, okay, I'll be safer if I control my own world. <laughs> and, uh, and then at world mandate last year, God really broke me of that. Um, and it was in that confession and repentance, uh, that I had to go through, uh, that God said, okay, your family and who I bring into it and all that is, uh, is up to me. Um, and that was when we just felt like God had, uh, God had released us to expand, um, to expand only um, under the understanding that, that this is his, is his to do with as he wants. If we're going to add rooms to our home, then he's the one that gets to fill those rooms. And that was a hard, some of y'all are like, that no big deal. That was really hard for me. Um, it required some vulnerability. And, um, and uh, so anyway, uh, we did not anticipate this, but a few weeks ago, months ago, yeah, weeks ago, uh, we found out um, that by nothing short of a miracle, and I assure you of that, I can tell you details if you'd like them, but I'd rather not tell you details, <laughs> uh, but nothing short of a miracle, we're having another baby. And so we didn't expect God to do it that way, uh, but uh, but yeah, so our house is getting full. Anyway, world mandate's important to me. That's all. I, I don't know why I said all of that. World mandate's important to me. It's where God has done some significant things in my heart. And I think that last uh, that this last weekend, other significant things um, have been spoken and done as well. And I pray that that's the same uh, for those of you that, uh, that came. So Nehemiah, it's all sorts of weird transition here. Sorry. World mandate's good, amen? All right, there we go. So uh, when, we, when we first uh, came... Uh, to Nacogdoches and to Fredonia Hill, one of the things that was really important to uh, to us was to raise up leaders and send leaders. Uh, we knew that we were going to have a pretty short opportunity uh, with a lot of students, that it would be, uh, you know, a few years and then they'd go, and then a few years and then they'd go. And we, we kind of knew that this was going to be the cycle of, of college ministry. So it was really important for us for in those few years for there to be a deep equipping and ascending. That had to become the pattern is you, it's got to be intense for a short period of time, which is okay, and some you'll get for longer, but, but for the most part, it's going to be intense for a short period of time, and then they need, to be, they need to, be, uh, to be sent into the work that God wants to do. Um, and so we started uh, taking these uh, leadership retreats, and those things have kind of changed over the years and what that looks like. Some of that's developed into the Armor Bearer program. Some of that has kind of morphed into discipleship school a little bit, but... Um, it's, it's looked like all sorts of things. Um, every year, though, uh, as we would get ready for Welcome Week, you guys know Welcome Week, right? You know that crazy first week of school? So you veterans are like, oh, it's just for the young ones, you know? Uh, but that crazy first week of school where um, everything in the world is thrown at you, if you're a freshman, it is incredibly overwhelming. There's all sorts of class, that, just school to get used to, then living away from home and then being on campus and all that. So Welcome Week is, is crazy. And so we would get away as a leadership team before Welcome Week and we would spend time um, 
bonding together as a team, and also praying for God to do a work on our campus. And in the very first year where we, where we, we did that, the Lord brought me to uh, the book of Nehemiah, in the first and second chapter, in order to uh, uh, give us a model and an understanding of what does it look like to stand on behalf of a city. What does it look like to stand on behalf of a group of people? Specifically, what the Lord showed us is that what Nehemiah, his process that he goes through uh, here, um, was this model that God was asking us to bring into uh, our understanding of our campus. And so we would go through the first chapter of Nehemiah and into the second chapter um, and 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 really observe his process. Um, and over the last uh, few years... What has happened, I think, here, uh, and this, there's a lot of overview and a lot of history, so sorry here, but um, what has happened here is, is I believe that God has created at this church, specifically within college ministry, uh, within, within Revive, I think there's an incredible internal structure. I think the culture here is wonderful. It's a culture of loving Jesus. It's a culture of community. It's a culture of deep discipleship, and it's messy, and, I, and it's not perfect, um, but, but it's a wonderful culture within these walls. Last year, as we were getting ready to go on this, on this trip again, um, God put a, a totally different burden on my heart. Looking through Nehemiah and just praying into that again. And God made it very, very, very clear. He said, I have, I have built this internal structure. This has been my work. Everything that's good here is mine. And I said, amen. <laughs> and it is good. But what God said next surprised me because it was a warning. And the warning was, if you keep building only on the inside, if your focus remains only on this internal structure, on what's going on within the culture of Fredonia Hill, then you will become so internally focused that you will collapse. It's time to look outside. And that struck me because I, I, I realized that that, that, was, that was absolutely true, that we have, to, we have to be in both places. We have to be absorbed in what God is doing within us, don't we? Because our love for one another is the way that God is going to use um, us to preach the gospel to the nations. That's how people will know. That's the mark of discipleship is our love for one another and not just any kind of love. We talked about it in our relationship series. A love that pours ourselves each other, sorry, pours ourselves out for one another. The mark of Christian community is sacrifice, right? Because we love like Christ. And the mark of the gospel was sacrifice. Grace is pictured in this sacrifice of the perfect son of God, God himself coming and laying his life down on our behalf. And then our Christian community is marked by sacrifice. That's why in the very beginning, the very beginning of the church, we read that they had all things in common and they shared everything with one another. They were laying themselves down on behalf of one another. And I realized that if all we do, though, is focus on that internal structure that we're going to collapse. And God said, it's time to go. It's time to go. If you don't go, then what's going on in here will die. And that came as a bit of a, uh, a shock. It, God was right. Obviously, most of the time, just to let you know, 
it's good to agree with God. <laughs> we knew that God was right, and we realized that this it's time. This was at the beginning of, uh, of school uh, last year. So we began to pray. And we began to ask God, what, what would you have us do? Because we don't want to just be flippant. We don't want to just go with no strategy, no wisdom, no discernment from you. We don't, but would you help us go? And God said, I've already been preparing you. Go back to Nehemiah. This is where you have to begin. And so what I'm going to share with you today is an overview. We're going to move through it pretty quickly, uh, but it's an overview of, of how Nehemiah uh, saw his people and how he processed that before the Lord. Um, and then what we're going to announce next week is our specific strategy that God has given us called Revive Campus. So what's been birthed out of this is Revive Campus. And what we are, uh, we're going to roll out to you and ask you to be part of is a strategic launch to be, uh, to bring the gospel uh, onto our campus. We believe that God is ready and desiring to sweep that campus with his love and his presence. And we believe that God is wanting to partner with his people to do it. And so we've said, God, we'll, we'll go. Would you give us the strategy? Would you give us the understanding? And God has done that. Um, and, and so we're going to show that to you next week. But we can't go into strategy without first understanding the heart of this. And that's what I want to try to give you this week. Is that fair? I'm freezing. Sorry, I tried to give you like a subtle point. Go to 67. I'm like, revive campus. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh, my gosh, I was cold. All right, reset. Here we go. I feel so bad for John. John edits all of our podcasts. You know how much banter he has to go through with me? Here goes Kendall again. Now he's on the thermostat. All right, Nehemiah. Y'all ready? So here's the deal, just real quick overview. So you know from, um, from previous study that, uh, that Israel, the children of Israel, were divided into a northern and southern kingdom. That The northern kingdom was hauled off into captivity, followed by the southern kingdom. Where we're going to find Nehemiah, so Nehemiah is a prophet, where we're going to find Nehemiah is about a thousand years after Moses and about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. The children of Israel have been taken captive by the Babylonians. And now there's this period of time where they have, so they've, they've 70 years, they've been held captive in 70, have been killed captive um, in Babylon, and most of them have made homes there. This is a, this is a, a dangerous thing. Most of them have made, uh, made homes there and be, uh, begun to uh, be part of that uh, pagan culture. There's a point, though, where uh, with the powers that be that the, the children of Israel are released, a portion are released to go back to home. Jerusalem at this point was just desolate. It's like a ghost town. Can you imagine? You think about the images of Jerusalem today. Jerusalem was a ghost town because the children of Israel were all gone. And they were allowed to go back at their release 
only a very, 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 very small percentage of them actually went home. It's devastating. There was a moment where they could go back and return to the place that God had given them. And at this word, only a small portion go back because most of them had had built their lives and their, their homes uh, in Babylon. They were happy in that uh, in that place, and happy is probably a relative term here, but they were they had created home. And so at the opportunity to go back to the place that God had given them, most of them said no. Because of that, Jerusalem was, le- was remaining in desolation. This is where we're going to catch Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to get a report of what is the status of Jerusalem. So, Nehemiah is, uh, he's in service to the king, and he's going to get a, a status report. He wants to know what is happening in Jerusalem. So chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkiah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So what is the condition of his city, of his people? They're in shame. They're in desolation. The walls of their city, their defense, are burned and broken down. I want you to listen to what happens in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I don't think I have to tell you or convince you that if we were to look in our culture, if we were to look in our city, if we were to look in our, uh, at our campus, that the report of those things would be a negative report. That we would look on those things and the report would be something similar to what Nehemiah said. If we were to say, tell me the status of of the culture around us. What is it? What's going on? What, What are our people doing? What are our peers doing? What is our generation calling out to? What is our culture worshiping? What's the status? I think we would hear something very similar to what Nehemiah heard. It's shameful. They're following other gods. They've given themselves up to themselves. They've determined that truth is whatever they want it to be. They serve their their own lusts, their own desires. The walls are broken down. It's in a place of shame. We don't have to be convinced there. But here's the disconnect. I think that most of the time we hear that and we acknowledge that and we either just complain about it or we ignore it we recognize it it's true and then it's like okay well i just got to deal with it or we get used to it maybe we get absorbed in it a little bit but i want to tell you that if we're going to be 
effective on that campus. No strategy will help us lest we are broken for the brokenness. There is no amount of planning. There is no amount of strategic work. There is no uh, amount of gospel sharing that will do any good on that campus unless first we break for the brokenness. Are you grieved by what you see on that campus? Does it bring you to weeping and mourning and fasting and praying? When Nehemiah heard where his people were, it broke him. In the depths of his heart, he grieved the condition of his people. And I want to ask you, I want to urge you, we have to come to this place. We have to come to a place where the brokenness around us creates grief creates sadness. I'm not saying we walk around as these depressed people. But if it doesn't break us that people around us are hurting and dying without knowing Jesus, then we will not be effective in the fervency that's needed in order to bring the gospel in that place. We won't last. We may last a moment, but we won't be able to endure the difficult work, the suffering and the labor that is required in order to bring the gospel on our campus. We'll want some fun program, some fun event where we get to show up one time and check it off the list, but no depth, no depth in relationship. No difficult long-term striving, no fasting, no praying, no weeping, no mourning, none of that. We just want the selfie. What we're going to talk about next week, we may as well not, we may as well just cancel if we don't today get broken for our city, for our camp. The first thing that we know about Nehemiah is that he is broken for his people. And he went to fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Listen to verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house. Verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. Do you notice how he prays? He prays from his brokenness. By calling on the promises of God. And when you call on the promises of God, what you're doing is you're leaning into the character of God. Because the promises of God are bankrupt if God's not perfect and good. Promises apart from character mean nothing. If I lie to you all the time and then I promise you something, does it mean anything? No. 
So to press into God's promises is to press into his character because his promises, what he said he would do, who he says he is, is directly linked to who he is. Nehemiah knows this, and so he presses in to God from his position of brokenness. He acknowledges that God is great and awesome, that God keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. And then I want you to notice something else. When he prays, he doesn't pray that God would fix those awful people around him. He doesn't pray that God would, God, look at what is going on in Jerusalem. Those people are crazy. How have they not rebuilt the wall? How have they not rebuilt the temple? How has this not been reestablished? He doesn't bring accusation of his people before God, does he? Does he declare sin? Yeah, he does. He acknowledges sin, but where does he place himself? In it. See, this is, this is intercession. If we're going to be effective, we cannot see ourselves as separate from the problem. We can't see ourselves as separate from the culture. We are in the middle of it. And so as Nehemiah prays, he says, we have sinned. I think that the church could be tremendously effective in our day if we would start using the word we instead of you. Intercession means to stand on behalf of someone else. Nehemiah wasn't concerned with whether or not he was actually guilty or not. He was happy as an intercessor to take on even the guilt of someone else, to take on the brokenness of someone else, to step into that place and say, we have sinned. We have fallen short. We have, right? If we don't see ourselves as part of the problem, we will not be part of the solution. If you don't see yourself as part of the the culture, you cannot be effective within it. To be an intercessor, you have to stand with the people that you are desiring to bring healing and hope to, not afar from them. It will do us no good to stand in here and declare the issues of our culture and declare the issues around us and call out the world around us and stay in here and pray that they'd get fixed. Who has the Holy Spirit within us? You do. Who lives in the midst of that culture? You do. Who has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven to bind and loose? You have. If there's issues, we must first be the ones that stand and go, maybe we're not playing our role. Maybe this is a problem with us first, not quote-unquote them. We have to take ownership. We have to jump in and eliminate this us-and-them mentality. He calls on the promises of God. He repents and he prays. I want to... Keep going in, in, in this. I know we're breaking it up, but say this is one 
kind of continuous thought here. So in verse 7, he says, We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah comes very, very, very confidently before the Lord, doesn't he? He he speaks with God with the almost kind of like this. You almost get a little uncomfortable, don't you? Maybe not. It's almost like he's telling God what to do. He's humble, but he's telling God what to do. How in the world is he doing that? Why is he doing it? Where does that that come from? Well, it first comes from he knows God's character. What are the things that he says? He says, God, remember. Remember what you said in the past. Remember how... We know, we know that in sin we were going to be scattered, but remember how you said that you would restore us if we turn to you. His confidence is not an arrogance. His confidence is that he knows God and knows what God has said, knows what God has declared. And so he's praying very specifically into the promises that God has already made. He's not haphazardly asking God to do something. He's not asking God to come up with some new creative way to save the children of Israel. He's praying according to what God has already said. He's praying according to God's nature and God's character. And as we pray, and I want, to, I want you to know this, that this move, and Melina's going to share it next week, this will begin in prayer. This will not be a program that we launch and activities that we do. This will be... Uh, built on the foundation of prayer. We will pray, we will seek God, we will cry out to Him, we will fast and mourn and weep and place ourselves before Him and then we will go. But Nehemiah's boldness in prayer comes from his knowledge of who God is and what God has said. Do you know the promises of God? over your life as a child of God? Do you know the authority that God has given you? Do you know that you've been called to stand on behalf of brokenness in this hour of history? Do you know that? And do you know what God has promised to give us as we go out and preach the gospel? Do you know the faithfulness of God that has been promised? Do you know the power and the strength that God said and promised would accompany us as we move and our light among the nations? If we don't know these things, we'll walk very timidly. 
if we're not sure of who God said he is and what he has promised his people, and not only his people, what he has promised that he would do in the nations, do you know that God wants a move of God on that campus? Do you know that? Or do you just go, well, Kendall sounds pretty convinced. My being convinced will not help you. Do you know that God's heart burns for those who don't know him? Do you know that the scriptures speak about a fervent searching of God after those who are away from him? Do you know the grief in our Father God's heart for those who don't know him and are far off from him? Do you know that brokenness of his heart because you've searched him and know him? We have, to, we have to know those things because we know who God is in order to walk in fulfillment of what God is asking us to do. And that's going to take, and I know you love this word, you millennials, it's going to take discipline. But you are a disciplined people. You just don't know it. You're disciplined in other things. It's time that we shift our focus, our passion, our fervor, and our discipline into the things of God. You're disciplined socially, aren't you? You're disciplined. You know what's going on, don't you? You know, I see you know. I know you have discipline. This is not a group that lacks discipline. We need a shift of focus. We need to, again, be hungry for our discipline to be channeled to the things of God, to know His Word, to know His will, to know His character, and then walk confidently in that knowledge into a broken place. I believe that it's already in you. And then... Nehemiah says, and we just read this, but he says, They're your servants, your people, verse 10, whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Listen to verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Now it gets really personal. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Is that you? Is that us? Can we say those words? Now, Lord, listen to me. Because I delight to fear your name. And there are others who delight to fear your name. Listen to us. And give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Those next words are important. It says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. What is he asking for? He's First, he's presenting himself as part of the solution, isn't he? He's not praying and weeping and mourning and saying, God, fix it and standing away. He's confessing the sin of the people with himself included and then saying, and God, help me. Be attentive to your servant and your servants who fear your name and give me favor. Why? Because what is his position? He's a cupbearer to the king. He's in a place of influence. And he immediately asks God to give him favor in his sphere of influence. We have to present ourselves before God 
to be used in the way that God wants to use us in the place that we already are. I'm convinced that, and we've built the whole strategy off of this. And I say we've built. God's built, we've listened. The whole thing is based on this idea that God has already put you where he needs you. We're not going to reshuffle the cards here, friends. You're already in the classes you need to be in. You already have the friends you need to have. You're already in the places you need to be in order to bring about this move. But this is about presenting yourself to be used by God in the place where you already are. And it's going to take you realizing that where you are is important. Quit devaluing where you are and trying to get out of it. Quit trying to move out of it so quickly and quit thinking that to be a part of something that God wants to do, I've got to do something new. Embrace where you are. Because I promise you that God has given you favor in relationships that that the rest of us don't have. And if you jump out of that sphere of influence because you discount it, what you've done is you've discounted the broken people in that place. He said, this is not a worthy enough place. It's a worthy place because there are people that God loves in it. That's what makes it worthwhile. That the thing that God burns for is in it, and that's his people. So it's worthwhile. It's not about where. It's no more glorious to be in wherever than it is to be in a dorm room. If we get attracted to places, we're going to miss people. Y'all hear me? Don't be deceived. The thing that God loves is already around you. It's people made in his image that he desires to know him and worship him. But we have to present ourselves to his purposes there. And then the last thing, what does he ask for God to do? He says, you, God, you give the favor. Nehemiah knows that this will not be a work that's done by his hand. We have to know that. The broken cycle of churches is that if we come up with enough good strategy, we'll change the world. That's not how it works. Where did we read that? In which gospel did Jesus say, you're talented enough to bring my name to the nation? The most equipped group of people from the gospels would have been the disciples who spent three years with Jesus. And Jesus said, look him in the eye and said, don't do anything until I clothe you with power from on high. Don't be stupid enough to think that you can do this on your own. Wait. Because you need to be clothed with power from on high because that is how this gets done is that I do it in and through you. In John 15, what does he say? Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do. Why have we translated nothing as most things? It's the broken cycle of churches that we believe that if we can get creative enough and gather enough people and wear the same t-shirt and do enough quote-unquote good things that we'll be effective and it's absolutely missing the power and the presence of God and we're introducing people to our best work, not to God. He puts himself before the Lord and says, but God, you have to bring the favor. You have to do this work. I cannot do it. Then he waits, and we will be patient. 
we will be patient. We'll be fervent. We'll be pressing God. But we will wait on him. We will not go where he does not give us favor and access. We're not going to press where God doesn't open opportunity to press. We're going to wait on the Lord. And I'm out of time, but if you read the second chapter, what happens is that Nehemiah goes into the king where he's asked God to give favor. And the king asks him this question. He says, why such a sad face? That's my version. I don't think that, I don't know if kings talk like that. But he says, why such a sad face? And Nehemiah is kind of struck by this question. Obviously, I mean, he burned for his people so deeply that it showed on his face. And the king, a pagan king, looked at him and went, what's up, man? <laughs> Something's off. And Nehemiah shares before the king his brokenness for his people. And the king says, yeah, why don't you go back and fix it? He's essentially enslaved to this king. He asks God for favor, and the king says, why don't you go back and fix it? I'm releasing you to go, and also I'll pay for it. That's that's a real quick summary of chapter (laughs) 2. But I'll pay for it. And if anybody tries to stop you, I'll bring enforcements against it. This is a pagan king. He asks for favor, and God brings favor. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. And God is not limited by anything that he'll use. And we're not going to uh, make small anything that God wants to use. We're going to let God do this the exact way that God wants to do it. I'm excited about this. I know that this has been something that, um, well, we know that this is according to God's heart. I'm so thrilled that we get to be part of it that you get to be part of. I want to tell you, though, this is not going to be Melina and I and the armor bearers. You know, like it ain't happening. We're waiting on you. We're waiting on you. And we'll begin in prayer. You begin in prayer today. God, where do you want to use me? Begin to lay down your life to be used by God. Where you're at. We'll talk about specifics next week. Is that fair? Everybody tracking? Everybody good? Y'all smile. We're talking about being used by God. Cheer up, friend. Let's pray. God, that is what we want. Man, if it's not what we want, correct us. Wow. Yeah, if that's not what we want, that's not what I want, correct me what you want. And I want to want what you want. I want to break for the things that break you. I want to love what you love. I want to care for what you care for. I don't want to get distracted by other things. So God, tune our heart to you. Wake us up in our spheres of influence. Let us just, man, just even right now, as we're thinking about it, as we're taking survey, and as you're putting names and faces in our mind, God, I pray that we would see the value of those people. They are made in your image, and no matter what story has been told about them by circumstances, 
that you have a story that you want to write. And that story is for them to glorify you by being in relationship with you, by being overwhelmed by your grace and knowing you. That's the story that you want to write. And I pray that we would see the people around us the way that you see them, not for what their stories have told. And God, we ask that you would give us favor in this work. We're not going to... Well, we'll let you do it however you want, God. You do it however you want. If you want us to be like Gideon and you want to just whittle the army all the way down, that's fine. We'll go however you want us to go. God, we ask for you to bring favor. And we ask for salvation to sweep our campus and city. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. I intended to write on that whiteboard today.